Objections Overruled 1 and 2 audiobooks are produced by Lutheran Public Radio and are made possible with support from listeners like you. You can contribute to the production of future audiobooks at issuesetc.org support. Look for Objections Overruled 3 in December of 2023. Christianity has been bad for non-Christians. Alvin J. Schmidt, Ph.D. Christian morality brought the world unprecedented respect and work for human life and well-being. Christians attributed dignity to women unseen in any other culture. Christians were the force behind widespread education for all people. Christians promoted and participated in scientific research out of love for God's creative power. Christian esteem for every person has been the foundation of societies built around freedom and justice. Soon after the martyr Stephen was executed in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 7, around A.D. 36, many Christians migrated from the Holy Land to Greece and Rome. It did not take long for the indigenous residents to complain, arguing that Christian values were bad for non-Christians. For example, Christians refused to offer sacrifices to Rome's pagan gods and goddesses, and they opposed other public performances that appalled them. Today, some non-Christians also argue that Christianity's values are bad for them because Christians oppose certain non-Christian lifestyles. Is this argument valid? Christianity promoted the sanctity of human life. The early Christians were shocked at the Romans' dismal view of human life. Abortion, infanticide, child abandonment, and suicide were widespread and culturally acceptable. So were Rome's gladiatorial contests that brutally took the lives of conscripted gladiators. Since Christianity had no legal status, Christians lacked power to stop these inhumane anti-biblical practices. But their leaders, priests and bishops, taught and urged them not to practice or support any pagan customs. In time, with the continued growth and influence of Christianity, Roman emperors became Christians. In 374, Emperor Valentinian outlawed abortion, infanticide, and child abandonment. As the West grew, its countries enacted similar laws protecting the unborn and newly born infants. In the latter half of the 20th century, however, many Western countries legalized abortion by repealing their anti-abortion laws, a vestige of Christianity's influence. The gladiatorial games began in Rome in 264 B.C. By the time Christians arrived in Rome, the Romans had watched thousands upon thousands of gladiators speared to death with the sword, gladius, for at least three centuries. To see a gladiator stab and slice his opponent to death was top-ranked entertainment. The gladiator shows appalled the Christians. They saw them as the nadir of human morality. Christians boycotted these bloody games, and their opposition did not go unnoticed. Thus, one loyal Roman chided the Christians, You do not go to our shows. You shrink in horror from our sacred games. In the early 390s, Theodosius I, a Christian emperor, outlawed the gladiatorial events. His son Honorius banned them in the West in 404. The non-Christian historian W.E.H. Leckie has written, There is scarcely any single reform so important in the moral history of mankind as the suppression of the gladiatorial shows, a feat that must be almost exclusively ascribed to the Christian church. 
morally speaking, was banning abortion, infanticide, child abandonment, and the gladiatorial contests really bad for non-Christians? Hospitals and healthcare, their Christian roots. When the early Christians came to Rome, they were astonished to see the Romans deserting their sick relatives during epidemics. It was at such moments that the Christians recalled Jesus saying, As you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Matthew chapter 25, verse 45. These words motivated them to care for the sick. Soon after Christianity became legal in 312, the Council of Nicaea, 325, directed bishops to establish a hospice in every city where a bishop resided. Hospices cared for the sick, provided shelter for the poor, and lodged pilgrims. In 369, St. Basil built the first hospital outside Caesarea in Cappadocia, now Turkey. Soon, Christians built more hospitals both in the East and the West. Later in the New World, hospitals were built by Christian denominations. Christians often named hospitals after a departed saint, for instance, St. John's Hospital or St. Luke's Hospital. Other hospitals were given the denomination's name. Christianity gave women freedom and dignity. The extremely low status women had experienced for centuries in every culture was radically changed by the appearance of Jesus Christ. He often went against the taken-for-granted beliefs that defined women as socially, intellectually, and spiritually inferior. His teachings and actions raised the status of women, sometimes to the consternation of friend and foe. He shocked his disciples by speaking to a Samaritan woman in public, and he welcomed other women who spoke to him. Another time, he even had some women walk with him to Jerusalem. After his bodily resurrection, he appeared first to women. The birth of Jesus, said one historian, was the turning point in the history of women. Another noted, whatever else our Lord did, he immeasurably exalted womanhood. His followers reflected his example, raising women's dignity, freedom, and rights to a level previously unknown in any culture. One only needs to recall how badly women were treated by the ancient Greeks, Romans, Chinese, and other societies where paganism prevailed. Before Jesus Christ's arrival, century upon century had brought little or no freedom or dignity to women in any culture. Where else do women, Christian or non-Christian, have more freedom, opportunity, and human worth than in countries that have had the greatest presence of Christian values? Christian Imprints on Education Few would dispute that Jesus was the greatest teacher the world has ever known. He employed words, parables, and human life illustrations that stirred both friend and foe. When he spoke, people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority. Mark chapter 1, verse 22. One observer has said, Had Christ left this world without making any provisions for carrying on his work, he would still have been the greatest teacher of all time, and his life and example would have influenced profoundly the development of educational theory. Christ taught so that those who would follow him might teach others. Shortly before he ascended to heaven, he told his disciples to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20. His apostles heeded his words, for beginning with Pentecost, Luke says, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Acts chapter 5, verse 42. Space does not permit citing all the educational contributions that Christianity's values produced. 
Unlike the Greco-Romans, who primarily educated boys of the elite, Christians introduced universal education. They taught both sexes and without regard to social status. They initiated catechetical schools, 2nd century, cathedral schools, 4th century, monastery schools, 5th century, universities, 12th century, deaf education, 18th century, blind education, 16th century, kindergarten schools, 19th century, graded education, 16th century, and American universities, 17th century. All have one thing in common. They are Christian imprints. Science, its Christian connections. Christian theology has always insisted there is only one God, a rational being. Without this presupposition, there would be no science. Alfred North Whitehead, a non-Christian and renowned philosopher of science, stated that science required Christianity's insistence on the rationality of God. Crediting Christianity for the arrival of science may sound surprising to many, but why? In part, the answer goes back to 1896 when Andrew Dixon White published two volumes, A History of the Warfare of Science with Theology in Christendom. Ever since, along with the growth of secularism, countless professors in academia have uncritically accepted White's biased argument that Christianity is the enemy of science. White ignored many key pioneer scientists who were motivated by Christian teachings and values when they introduced new theories that led to new discoveries. Robert Grossetesta, circa 1175 to 1253, a Franciscan bishop and first chancellor of Oxford University, first proposed the inductive experimental method. Roger Bacon, 1214 to 1294, a Franciscan friar, argued valid knowledge had to be derived inductively. Jean Buridan, 1285-1347, a Christian philosopher in Paris, introduced the principle of probability. These are some of the men who created a paradigm shift, departing from the Greek Aristotelian view that knowledge could only be obtained deductively. This shift influenced scientists like Nicholas Copernicus, 1473-1543, a Catholic canon who proposed astronomy's heliostatic theory. Johann Kepler, 1571-1630, a Lutheran, gave science its first three scientific laws showing how planets orbited. Robert Boyle, 1627-1691, a Christian as interested in theology as he was in science and known as the father of chemistry, gave science Boyle's Law, which describes the behavior of gas under pressure. James Simpson, 1811-1870, a Scottish gynecologist and devout Christian, was the first to use chloroform and ether to alleviate a pregnant woman's birth pain. Louis Pasteur, 1822-1895, discovered that bacteria caused diseases, showed that antiseptics treated certain illnesses, introduced inoculation, and gave the world the method of pasteurization. When he died, in one hand he held his wife's hand, and in the other he held a crucifix. Numerous other Christian scientists had convictions that influenced their scientific work. The ones just cited, along with many others, were not only devout, they also sought to understand and explain their findings in the light of God's divinely inspired Word. Those pioneers, upon whose shoulders present-day scientists stand, knew and believed the words of the psalmist, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Psalm 19, verse 1. 
To them, God could not be factored out of scientific theories and research. Their Christian convictions echoed the words of their fellow scientist Johann Kepler, I am in earnest about the faith, and I do not play with it. But it is almost unknown today that early scientists from the 13th to the 19th century were motivated by Christian teachings and values. This omission is largely the result of scientific biographies written by authors who assumed that early scientists operated with methodological atheism, as is now true in science. Thus, today's science biographies make no mention of Christian theology's role in the theorizing and research of the early scientists. Liberty and Justice for All St. Paul said, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Hence, nations where Christianity has a prominent presence are also distinguished by liberty and justice. Nowhere has there been a better example of liberty and justice than the United States of America. Why? America has been profoundly influenced by Christian principles. Alexis de Tocqueville, the 19th-century French observer, recognized this connection when he wrote, There is no country in the world where the Christian religion retains a greater influence over the souls of men than in America. Jewish author Kevin Abrams noted, The American civilization rests on the basic principles of Christian morality, which have their origin in the Hebrew Scriptures. The pronounced emphasis on liberty and justice in the United States is not happenstance. It exists because the American architects of liberty and justice were influenced to a large degree by Christianity's biblical values. Thus, Abrams further asserts, Remove the Bible as the constellation that guides the American ship of state, and the whole edifice of American civilization collapses. Regarding Western countries other than the United States, historian Carlton Hayes has remarked, Wherever Christian ideals have been generally accepted and their practice sincerely attempted, there is a dynamic liberty. And wherever Christianity has been ignored or rejected, persecuted or chained to the state, there is tyranny. Bad for non-Christians? Really? We have cited only some of the many contributions Christianity has bequeathed to the world. Christians adhered to the sanctity of human life vis-à-vis -vis ancient Rome's low view of human life. Closely related to the sanctity of human life were hospitals first built by Christians in a pagan world. Hospitals and healthcare greatly improved the lives of all, Christians and non-Christians alike. Christianity brought freedom and dignity to women, which they had never experienced in any culture. Westerners place great value on education, but few recognize that this value reaches back to Jesus commanding his disciples to teach all nations. Christians took this command to heart by offering education to all, regardless of sex, physical handicaps, or social status. Christianity's presence in education aided the arrival of science, and many early pioneers of science were well-educated Christians. Christianity's contribution to liberty and justice, especially in the United States, has benefited Christians and non-Christians alike. Thus, it cannot be argued persuasively that Christianity's biblical values have ever been bad for non-Christians.